welcome everybody into another episode of Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast. I am here joined as always by my brother Ryan and our man Philip Russell. Gentlemen, how are we feeling after what some may call the greatest week of Phoenix Suns basketball for this year? Is it too early to go ahead and jump there? I don't know, man. That win over the Magic felt insurmountable. Uh <laughs> So it really did cap off an incredible, incredible week. Since since we have some new listeners since our recent switch over to the Brightside Podcast Network, some of these guys might not know that I'm a big Bulls fan. The Bulls are my number one fandom team, even though I spend significantly more time watching and thinking about the Phoenix Suns. Sorry. So I... I'm walking into this podcast a little hurt and would very much appreciate if we focused on the Philadelphia game, the Milwaukee game, and the Orlando game. That's just my request coming in. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Even if it weren't for me being a good friend and being aware of your feelings, I think this week couldn't have gone better for you in terms of you you get to talk about the Suns all the time. People listen. So you get to talk about winning basketball, which is great. And for the sake of your Bulls, for those that didn't actually watch the game, 127-124, that's a respectable loss against a great team without your greatest player, Alex Caruso. That seems like a win for Chicago. I just, you know, last year when Nuggets fans were like, if Jamal Murray was healthy, I think I sent a text. I think I sent a text in the second quarter. You absolutely did. It was, I'm pretty sure it was like middle of the second quarter. The Suns were already just molly whopping the, the Bulls. And I sent the little huffing emoji, the dude who's like, looks tough with the steam coming out of his nose and said, if we only had a healthy AC or something along those lines. So very quickly during that game, I was looking for any and every excuse to negate what was uh, very clearly a dismantling by a far superior opponent. I thought it was, I thought it was only a three point game. Was it not a nail biter the whole time? <laughs> nice. Look, I will say uh, I'm, I'm not one to uh, bet on sports personally because I'm aware of my addictive qualities as a human, but that was a pretty bad beat for a lot of people because that game was Phoenix six and a half. And for points of that game, I mean, Suns are up 20 plus. And that's a pretty that's a pretty tough loss for people that were putting their money there. So I'm I'm okay if we just want to go ahead and end the Chicago storylines there for uh, Phillips' sake. I think there's a lot of great stuff to talk about in the Philly game and the Milwaukee game. I, I had a little bit more that I would like to discuss. Do we not have the? Uh, okay, I'm I'm seeing from Phillips' face that so that wouldn't be well received. So no, that's fine. We can continue. Ryan, if you want to do some deep dive breakdown, I, I did. I did have hours of notes over this game specifically that I wanted to discuss, but for the sake of our, our dear brother, I think it's okay that we skip those. Well, given that the smartest member of our team happens to be Chicago fam, I really don't want to make him too upset here. I think we can slowly recap the week. This will be the last time we discuss the game, but since last recording, the Suns they took care of business to say lightly a very tough stretch at Chicago the very next night a back-to-back at Philly and then Bucks at home Thursday televised huge game and it was the night of the trade deadline like there was a lot going on in basketball that day and then the magic game the Suns beat the magic if you didn't see that coming 
you've not been keeping up with much of what's going on in the world basketball wise, but the Suns managed to go four and oh this week. Uh, I was on the, the solar panel podcast last week and Dave always has us kind of give our predictions for the week. I think Brandon went two and two. I said three and one. And I felt like that might've even been a bit optimistic. I thought the back-to-back between Chicago and Philly and then only having a day of rest before Milwaukee, I thought that was a brutal four days of basketball. And for the Suns to come out 4-0, I think it speaks volumes to the team, what they're able to accomplish. Uh, What's interesting, though, about these teams is that the Bulls are going to look a whole lot different in in hopefully not too long from now as Caruso gets back healthy. A lot of their guys get healthy. Um, We're recording this Sunday morning. Levine had his agent or team put out that he's looking at a specialist to check out his knee, I think this week. So hopefully some answers there for him. Philly obviously is going to look, I mean, a completely different team in terms of how they operate, Uh, losing Curry and Drummond and the ghost of Ben Simmons in that trade, along with some first round picks, getting back James Harden and question mark who else came uh it was paul Millsap, wasn't it was it mills it was Millsap. that's yeah who knows what what that is right that's one of those yes you were an all-star but who who knows what that means now so the sixers are going to look totally different in the bucks going into the day you would have said well they'll look a little different they have a baka coming in and they have um goodness what is the other thank you DiVincenzo going out but that didn't seem like it would shake up too much Connaughton had kind of locked that down and then in the game against the Suns breaks the shooting hand so we really don't know what they're going to look like in a little bit as they kind of recover and reshuffle so I think it's a lot of good stuff this week Suns go 4-0 the magic win was kind of just like a cherry on top of an incredibly nice Sunday already I don't think anyone went into that game too stressed, Um, but obviously as we kind of recap a lot of our personal highlights later in the episode, as we typically do, um, is there anything about these games more in terms of the nitty gritty of what you saw that you guys want um, to bring up? I personally thought there was a lot that could be taken from the Philly game and Milwaukee game. And we'll still have time uh, for professor Russell's pick and roll lessons before we kind of jump to our recap. Um, But Ryan, do you see anything that really kind of jumped out to you in those first two games uh, that, sorry, not the first two games, but the two games since we're ignoring Chicago that really stand out to you in terms of a basketball impact? Yeah, for, uh, I I think it was a couple things. One, I just, I'm so continually thankful that we have JaVale McGee to back up Aiden because that gives us such a different look than we had last year on that second unit. Um, But on the solar, uh, on the, 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 podcast you were on this weekend uh, solar panel you were asked is is Mikhail a, a legitimate scoring threat at this point um and I wasn't sure exactly where I fell on that particular argument and after watching him play against the Bucks and just score in so many different ways I think I'm ready to give it to him I think I think that dude is a legitimate scoring threat 20 point threat every night at this point uh and and I've really been excited about what I've seen from him offensively uh statistically it may not have been his like most amazing night ever but it was just he was so exciting to watch in that Bucks game uh and scored in some really fun ways uh and I'm just really glad that we've got him yeah that was the question that was posed I think in in the true fall segment they were doing was has McHale taken the leap or that next big step right um 
And, and I, I still stand by what I said. And I think the way you worded it actually goes well with what I said, where I don't think he's made the leap where we can expect him to be an 18 points per game guy. But the word you use is threat. And I think that's big. He has turned himself into a threat to where, no, the other team is not going to be scheming against him. And part of that comes down to, in terms of scoring options, he's never going to crack the top two um, just with how good the Suns are and how good the top of the unit is. But he is a threat, and that's not someone you can shy away from. And I think what's even more impressive is he's able to do that while still taking the defensive workload he's been given. And that's something that I thought on the flip side to where he could have been landed. That was a horrible wording there, but his home and where he got drafted in Philly, Joel Embiid is a guy that you can tell defensively does not want to be at a hundred percent grind because on offense, he is taking that workload. He's putting in that effort a lot of exertion happening with a lot of minutes for a big who plays a very physical style of basketball. So you see him jogging back. He's not sprinting back after a a rebound. He's not starting the fast break, right? He wants to slow down. He wants to get in the half court and get set. And the fact that Mikhail Bridges is playing 120% on the defensive end and then is sprinting down, making goal line cuts on one end, sprinting to the corners on a fast break, What he does bring, Ryan, I think you nailed it. He is a threat. He is legitimately someone that another team needs to be concerned about. And to your point, he's scoring in so many different ways. That is just so encouraging. Cam Johnson, too. I think we're seeing more and more about his development on the offensive end while continuing to be better defensive than we thought. Uh, So, yeah, I think think that's a great point. Philip, in terms of Ryan's, I guess, first point, talking about the bigs and the depth, we talked about it to an obnoxious extent, right? As we recapped the finals from last year, we, we reassessed what needed to be done this year. And it seems that James Jones and crew agreed with us as they not just added to the big depth, they basically quadrupled it. What, what kind of stood out to you as we saw two games against two dominant big players who do happen to play in very different styles? Milwaukee, for some reason, was completely dedicated to switching on defense against the Suns, which was really confusing. Well, at first it wasn't that confusing because you go, okay, make DeAndre Ayton beat us tonight. If someone's going to beat us, it's going to be DA. Okay, that's a that's a decent strategy until time after time after time, CP3 or Mikhail on his little cut to the nail and dumping, we're getting him the ball. And then JaVale comes in and JaVale had a really good game against Milwaukee too and against their switches. So I think a lot of it depends on the opposing team's scheme and how well um, DA or JaVale, really how easily they're going to be able to generate some of the offense. But again, against against Milwaukee that night, because they're incessant switching, it it looks like DA and JaVale had unbelievable games and especially combined had unbelievable games. And they were just good. They were just good. They weren't otherworldly. They just had amazing stat lines because of what the defense was giving the Suns. I got to ask you, Philip, just because I know we texted about it on your, I think it was your first watch, my second or third, because I really enjoyed watching that game. We saw out, we saw a Twin Towers lineup of DeAndre Ayton and JaVale McGee for one of the first times that I can think of, let alone in a big game in very serious minutes. How did you like the idea of Monty using that 
to counteract Monroe and Giannis being out there at the same time. <laughs> That's the only reason why it's acceptable, Correct. <laughs> especially, especially because Alfred was in as well. So you had Alfred, DA, and JaVale on the floor at the same time. But then thankfully, they're offset by Booker and Cam Johnson. So offensively, what they did was instead of initiating the offense with a pick and roll, you had Alfred coming downhill and sometimes getting his feet inside the arc. And then Booker and Cam were playing off of each other, coming around pin downs from DA and um, DA and JaVale. So the offensive set looked really different. It looked like what um, some college teams do and even some high school teams do that kind of a thing as well. But then defensively, it was really interesting with the two tower lineup. They switched everything, but they switched everything because there was always going to be another big off ball. And that big off ball, if let's say Cam Johnson got Giannis on him, he's always able to come over and the term is a handoff and he can hand off Giannis or Monroe cutting to the basket to the other big. So it was, it was fun. It was really interesting for a regular season game. I don't, I don't know how much we should expect to see that in the postseason, but I really liked, I liked how Monty and his staff responded. Yeah. It allowed perimeter mismatches, but it never allows you to be mismatched where it counts against that team and where we really saw the Suns crumble, which was in the paint. Uh, Again, I, I loved the Philly game and I, I know I just because of my, my time schedule, I typically try to watch every game live. And I think part of that's just the fan in me. I enjoy the feeling, but I enjoy getting to then text you guys about what to look at on a rewatch. If you watch it later or rewatch it again with you. I, I don't know the last time I watched two games as many times as I did since this last week. Cause I thought the Philly game was an absolute treat. If you're a Suns fan, the Bucks game was great. And one thing that I want to add too, within the context of that Bucks game is that morning, the Suns made two pretty big moves that I do want to talk about as well in maybe not big moves in terms of what you were hoping for or expecting at certain Suns fans who thought miracles could happen, but we did see two trades and, and one of them answered a debate, Philip, that I, I think we had in one of our episodes when it was the two of us, which was how do we work out this center rotation? We talked, we were like, Aiton's not going anywhere. And it seems like Biombo, given that he got his guarantee, he's not going anywhere, can't be traded. And so we asked that question, right? JaVale or Jalen, what's going to happen with it? Uh, and Ryan, I know you were a, a big Tory Craig supporter from last year. When you saw that trade go through, I believe it was Jalen in a second for Tory Craig. What was kind of your initial reaction? I was so pleased. Um I, I think not to jump ahead a segment, but my low this week is sticks being moved just because I really was curious to see what his potential for the Suns would look like. But I think for this team, for a chance at a title run, you know, kind of uh, fine tuning some of those positions where we just needed a little bit more um, solid depth, getting Tory Craig back in the role that was meant for somebody like Tory Craig is huge. Uh, and somebody who already has chemistry with these guys, who these guys trust to come in and do things the right way and just fits the fits the mentality of this team. Um, I was ecstatic. I think he is so such a welcomed return. Um, and, and I think you could just see it in the in the magic game in the way that he played and some of the the roles that he filled just in that first game back. I'm going to I'm going to preempt something from Suns fans. Don't don't revisionist history getting rid of sticks because I I think there's a world in which Sticks becomes a 
good NBA player. And you could see in four or five years, some Suns fans trying to do the revisionist history of, oh, how could we let this guy go for someone like Tory Craig? It's the right move right now. I got caught in a prisoner of the moment several weeks ago. It's probably over a month now where I said, I think you keep Jalen and let JaVale go if you're looking long-term. Because of the Suns' continued success, I understand why they're keeping JaVale this season, and I think it's absolutely the right move. But also to Ryan's point, I hope I hope Jalen goes on and has has a lot of a lot of success at Indiana. I think there's going to be significant playing time for him there, which is exciting uh, because of some of the guys, even a dude who we who the three of us know who's getting some playing time on the Pacers right now. So again, two things: all the best to Jalen, and it is a great great move to bring Tory Craig back in because he plays a good game. He plays a good diverse game where you saw against the Magic. Which sidebar, we don't necessarily want to hold up a game against the Magic as a sign of what all these guys Any, can do. Of anything, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But you saw him attacking the basket a couple times, splashing some threes, even taking a three off the dribble. I think that he nailed, and he just looks comfortable and competent out there, and he's a man's man. That's our favorite. I think the three of us, that's our favorite part about Torrey Craig. Those rebounds he gets. And we always say he just make you go. he just suns something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's, yeah. I'm excited for those responses as the season progresses because I feel like that was so many times last year as we're hitting like the one year anniversary of the podcast. We would talk about Tory Craig, and every conversation would just end with a mm, like grunt <laughs> yeah. because that's who he is. Well, I want to I want to kind of tie a bow on a, a bit of this here as the changes continued. One other trade. And to be quite frank, I don't think any of us have the uh, knowledge to really break it down, but the Suns did use some of the money created by an injury exception used on Dario Saric to trade cash considerations for the youngest of the holiday group, uh, Aaron. He is a question mark. He is someone that the Suns were very high on in the draft process. He was from the Bridges Aiton draft. Uh Aiton said he wanted him to be picked at 16, I think, when the Suns had that pick still before the Zaire smith Mikhail Bridges trade. And a lot of people were connected with him due to the frequency of workouts he did during the draft process. But in terms of on-court production, there's not enough there to really, really see what could come of it. Um, I think the common landing place is it is someone that could take the role of the third point guard instead of Alfred who might be a little more reliable in terms of shooting. We even saw a hack and Alfred uh, strategy because the poor guy can't even go to the free throw line with a lot of confidence. And so it was great seeing him hit some threes against Orlando, a good little bright spot there. Um, But we've got some more to talk about as we kind of recap this week. But before we get there, want to pass the mic over to Professor Russell as he continues a wonderful series we've been doing, breaking down, pick and roll, how to defend it, We've already talked about some of the basic approaches Phillips even mentioned already, seeing how Milwaukee was handling it in their game as they continued to switch everything early on. So, Philip, what are we going to learn about today? We're going to learn about blitzing, blitzing the pick and roll. So the last the last two episodes, we've talked about switching, which is defenders switch who they're guarding. Like we mentioned, we saw it against the Bucks, and CP absolutely ate it up. The guards did a really good job of feeding it to the Suns' bigs on their mismatches. Last time out, we talked about drop coverage, which is where a big shows and then starts dropping back to defend the role. You see this in every game in the NBA, at least to some extent, 
uh, and you saw the magic being absolutely terrible at it. Mo Bamba is a bad defender. He was, oh, it was painful. I just watched the game before we started recording and it, it made me hurt. But now we're going into number three. It is a high risk, high reward blitzing. So blitzing the pick and roll means basically both defenders go and they attack the ball handler, trying to push the ball handler out further away from the point of the screen, which usually means further away from the three-point line, pushing him towards the sideline or towards half court. It's basically a double team. It's a quick double team off of a pick. We saw this a little bit this week against the Bulls. In the first quarter against the Bulls, my beloved Javante Green had some difficulty guarding Devin Booker, which is to say Booker was absolutely cooking the Bulls at the beginning of the game. And the Bulls started going to a blitz. The reason a defense might go to a blitz is it gets the ball out of the ball handler's hands, usually if the blitz is effective. So if you have a guard who's, on fire, you have a super dynamic scorer who's scoring a lot in the pick and roll. You blitz that person and you're making them at least momentarily give up the ball. And there are times you could think of during a curry flurry or if Dame is absolutely on fire, it's good for the defense to just get the ball out of that dude's hands. Also, if the big who sets the screen for a pick and roll, is usually a rim runner or even exclusively a rim runner, it puts that person in a position where they're going to have to make a play, which can be a win for the defense when they have a, we can say, incompetent playmaker having to make a quick decision of, do I attack the basket, which is where you see a lot of charges happen? Do I make a pass to the corner, which a lot of times can go awry? Or... Or what happens is if the ball handler doesn't get the ball to the roll man, they have to throw it backwards away. And then the defense has opportunity to recover. Now for the offense, it can be a good thing if you have a good playmaker who sets your screens. So if the guard reads it and gets the ball to a rolling big, it is an automatic odd man advantage for the offense. Automatically. You can think of that. Two guys guarding the guard. The ball's, it's, here's what it is. It's Draymond Green and a lot of what he's been successful at. His decision-making and the like. If the one setting the screen is a good offensive player, it's really hard to defend blitzing if the guard gets rid of the ball. And then even if the role is defended well, the defense is necessarily scrambling off of a blitz which in the middle of that scramble, who can get the ball back? The guy who initially gave it up, think in your mind, basketball fans, of Steph Curry relocating. And the different images you see in different videos and clips you see of Steph Curry being able to give up the ball. And all of a sudden, he's cutting along the baseline and he's in the opposite corner getting a pass and he's open for a shot. So there again, it's a big high-risk, high-reward for blitzing. It's fairly rare, and it will be extremely rare against the Suns because a guy like CP3 can get the ball out and get the ball in really good positions for the rest of his team. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it's definitely a time and place type of thing. Very, Very so. similar, because again, Suns are so deep, you don't see a lot of people do it to us. There's too many weapons. It's very similar to where you'll see the Suns switch to the 2-3 zone or something similar. It is the catch you off guard, do something you're not expecting, 
make it harder for you to get into your sets that maybe you have kind of found a groove in. And so you're not going to see it for an entire quarter or anything like that. NBA players are, are too good. You'll see it an insane amount in high school basketball. If you go mm-hmm. to high school basketball and you want to see a defense, the, the word that pops in my mind is just hound the other team, prevent them from getting comfortable, prevent them from getting in their sets, especially, I don't know if it's a state by state when there's no shot clock, right. And you're just trying to be a menace, prevent teams from getting what they want. That's the time you're going to see it. But again, it's very much a time and place type of move for a defense to get into. So Philip. I enjoy getting to just listen to you talk about basketball things. Ryan, anything to add to our our beautiful pick and roll session with our man, Professor Russell? No, I just hope that if you haven't gone back and listened to Philip's other two sessions, uh, go for it. There's been some really great folks who kind of break this down on Twitter, but to, to really be able to spend a few minutes taking the time to, to, to explain and work through these things, I think is important for folks who may not have the ba- basketball background um, uh, of somebody like, you know, Ethan, who, who has helped coach it at a collegiate level or, or Philip who spent his, you know, was, so much of his life dedicated to, to basketball up there in the, uh, great white North of Indiana. So, um, no, I think, I just think this is a great segment and I hope folks are learning cause I know I am. Well, with that said, professor Russell class is dismissed. We now get to do I get any excused absences. Yes, if you decide to just skip out, the next okay. time Philip starts talking and Ryan disappears from the mic, he's just getting food. Yeah, <laughs> there is an exam scheduled three weeks from today. Oh, damn. I'm gonna, I'm a, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna load a clip on Twitter, and our listeners are gonna have to respond with exactly what's happening in the clip. What What I think would be fun eventually is, and this is this would be a me thing, and so it's more of do I want to do this? I would love to have some video segments that can go along with this to where we can take some of the stuff where it's it's less breaking down what's happened but more just general basketball education which hopefully if you're listening it comes from a place of love we all enjoy basketball and we think there are things that when you learn more about it you get more joy out of it just like ryan gets way more enjoyment out of some of these like old historical war movies and documentaries because the dude's got a degree in it and that excites him and he knows stuff and for me i'm like is this the bad guy? Who are we cheering? Right. Like when you have a a breadth or width of knowledge to then put into something in front of you, we think it helps because personally we enjoy it. Uh, And so none of this is to come across as let us tell you what we know. It is, we hope you can get something out of this to make you enjoy the beautiful basketball that we're getting to watch uh, as Suns fans, but, but also I'm way smarter than all of you. Yes. <laughs> he works at a college, so he is quite <laughs> academic. Uh, Philip, you had something to add before we uh, moved on? No, not after Ryan's comment. <laughs> <laughs> all right. With that said, we move on to the, uh, the peak of the into the Valley podcast, what people keep coming back for what no one asked for. Why don't we have shirts yet? You know, haven't figured that one out yet. Probably because someone's already done it. But with all that said, we move on to our favorite part of the podcast, our highs, our lows, and our just so you knows in Phoenix Suns basketball. All right, we are going to go a little quicker this time through just due to how much we've kind of recapped the week already. A lot of times we throw that at the end, but I like the ability to do a little bit more in-depth breakdown on the front end. 
recap our highlights and our low lights at the tail end. I'm going to go ahead and start my high of the week. Uh, hopefully I'm not cheating. I really wanted to be prideful and say Cam Johnson Thursdays once again, because Cam Johnson, my boy showed out on Thursday night on TNT against Milwaukee. He's currently still shooting 62% from the field and 61% from three from the best field goal percentage, three point shooter in the league. But I will put my pride aside and say, Deandre Ayton hats off to you, my man. This week was a gauntlet of incredible talent that was put in front of you back-to-backs included physical defense against one player incredible agility needed to defend another you played against and defended two of the top five players in this league in absolutely showed out so not much more to leave or to leave with you there but DeAndre Ayton incredible week I'm proud of you great maturity uh, and I'm, I'm hoping to see a whole lot more of that especially come playoff time Ryan, what is your high for this week? My high is the, the fact that we beat the Sixers and the Bucks back-to-back, not on back-to-back nights, but consecutive games with just a day off, especially when you consider how Giannis bodied us last year in the playoffs and Aiton played him so well. And the fact that in the last 12 games, Joel Embiid is averaging more points scored than minutes played, and we still beat both of them. Uh, those are two very good teams who have two very deep runs in the playoffs in them. Uh, and we played them both really well and came out with wins. So that's that's the high of my week for sure. And to to your point, the the lack of efficiency, like Embiid still got his. I think he had 35 or 36, but I'm pretty sure he was held to right at 50% or under from the field by a hair. That is that's not typical. A part of that was I think he was like two of nine, two of seven or eight from three. Definitely didn't hurt. And then Giannis, who was riding a streak of however many games of 25 plus or whatever, like the Suns really did seem to bring them down to earth, even if it is just by a little bit. And that's, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask of anyone. And it's alone. a mental win when we, we, if we end up seeing them again, we know we can do it. Yep. And, and that's, a, that goes a long way. For sure. Philip, high for the week. I really enjoyed some of the adjustments that Monty and his coaching staff made, especially against Philly. I have a huge list. I'm just going to share two that I saw. There were a couple times against the second unit where Toby Tobias Harris was getting the ball in the post and then Drummond was coming to set a screen for him. And what the Suns do with that second unit with JaVale is they drop on pick and roll coverage. But what that was getting is it was getting Harris pretty easy mid-range jumpers and a lot of times inside 10 feet. So what they started doing is the Suns eventually just started switching that up where JaVale would come up and just switch on to Tobias Harris, who was in the post, which he can do fine against that. And then Cam just had to, usually Cam Johnson just had to battle had to be a big boy down low. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like that. And then DA's battle all night with JaVale in the fourth, he, he was doing something in particular. He was working really hard to push Embiid out of the lane as far as he could but as soon as Embiid got out of the lane, DA pivoted around yeah. and fronted him. And so then Philly was having trouble getting the lob pass to Embiid. And even if they did, he was pushed out so far. It was it just wasn't an easy possession for Embiid to go to work against DA. So good job, Monty. Good job by you. Good job by your coaching staff. Yeah. No, there's there's a lot of good stuff. And there's more stuff that we're not even touching on. Uh, it was a great week. Uh, we moved to our lows. Um, Ryan, I'm going to go ahead and let you start because I already already know where you're going with it, but uh, kick us off there. Yeah, mine is just selfishly as much as I would 
as much as I love Torrey Craig and I'm, I'm thrilled to have him back selfishly, I was intrigued to see what sticks his future looked like with the Suns. Um, so that's just my low, just from a selfish standpoint, I would have loved to see him uh, develop under JJ and Monty. Um, but I wish him the best, and I hope the uh, the Pacers use him well because I think he has a, a really uh, a higher ceiling than we've seen, and I, I hope the best for him. Philip, what about you? I would like for Jay Crowder to be better at shooting the basketball. Shoo we you hit this, you hit mine. That was that's exactly what I had to say. I've never seen a stretch from Jay Crowder where he was this bad shooting. Now, after going four and zero during the week, we are picking nits, as they say. <sighs> But he was he was 18% on five and a half attempts per game, which is high volume, incredibly bad efficiency. This season, he's 30 between 33, 34% on five plus attempts per game. Last season and last playoffs, he hovered around 38 to 39% on six plus attempts per game. So he had a little bit higher volume last year and significantly better efficiency. And it's just a question: can the Sun survive? a struggling or subpar J during the playoffs, which is to say, have the Suns made enough moves around the rotation to make sure that any of his possible offensive deficiencies can be covered up to allow him to do his good work on the defensive end and on the glass. Yeah. And I don't want to belabor that point. I will tack on just as a little optimistic note to my low. One thing that stood out to me following Jay's horrible shooting for the beginning of the week is in the Orlando game he came out and kind of created his own confidence by attacking the rim. And you'll see those games once every two or three weeks where Crowder kind of just switches it up. And I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know if it was on purpose, game plan, whatever. But he attacked the rim in that first quarter three or four times pretty early, hit some tough shots, got to the line. uh, And you know, they always say, if you're struggling shooting, you just need to see the ball go through the hoop a few times. So it was good for him to be willing to pivot, I guess, to kind of get it figured out. Um, but no, great point. In our just so you knows, I want to go ahead and just say, I think, and I've talked about this so much, and poor Brooke, my wife, love her to death. She has heard me talk about this so much. The family feel of the Phoenix Suns is so incredibly unique that I don't think other people realize how great it is. You will struggle to find that in most college basketball locker rooms, a place where people are trapped together for years and are all the same age, whatever. The fact that we have these guys spanning a whole lot of years, different amount of time here in Phoenix, to have the relationship they have. Uh, Booker touched on it in his architectural design interview where they did the spotlight for his new house, or it's probably not a new house, but his house talking about how much he has the guys over and how much they enjoy playing cards, watching games, playing Xbox, whatever. That speaks volumes. On top of that, listening to Chris talk on JJ's podcast about the feeling, the Sun social team is doing a great job of giving us a look into the locker room and the pregame and all of that stuff. And then finally, when Torrey Craig comes back, every single player was elated. DA was hype in that interview talking about how happy he was. Paul was joking that he almost passed Torrey the ball in Indy because he's still a what was like one of those, the card game brothers or whatever he called them, like their little group of card players that play so much. And then Booker wearing the headband against Orlando. I cannot confirm that was for Tory, but he hadn't worn a headband in a while. Tory shows up and he's got one. So my, just so you know, this team is special and I love them all very much. Uh, Ryan, what you got? Uh, For the first time all season, the Brooklyn Nets are no longer the sole possession of Vegas odds for favorites at the title. And the Suns have joined them. 
tied for Vegas odd favorites at the title. So that is my just so you know, if you're better, that's a, that's uh, a good to watch so you know. for. Uh, and we are we are now the tied for favorite at the at the title. Love it. Which, and that's interesting to me because my just so you know is to keep an eye out on the Nets. I think they are very interesting. And one of the things we like to do on the podcast sometimes, just because of the amount that we just watch basketball, it's not just Suns. It's league passes on every night at at my house. Kyrie, KD, Ben Simmons, and then some combination of. Patty Mills, LaMarcus Aldridge, Cam Thomas, Seth Curry, Nick's, Nick Claxton. Seems like it could be formidable, if not great. Just I imagine think, in your I head. I think they're better. I think they're better yeah. after this trade. Yeah. And imagine in your head a pick and roll with Ben and Kyrie into a bar reversal where KD and Seth Curry are the two shooters on the weak side. It could be pretty fun. Yep. It could be fun. No. Yeah, we... We don't have the time to cover the Suns well and still talk about all the trades, but let it be known. We're still very interested in what's going on around the league. Uh, but guys, this is a great week of basketball. Enjoyed getting to talk to you about it. Uh, All-Star Weekend is coming up soon. We'll have to figure out what we want to do with that time. Uh, but for Philip and Ryan, I am Ethan. This is Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns podcast. Check us out on the Bright Side we Podcast out. Network and we out.